I'm Matt Dixon, and welcome to the Purple Patch Podcast. The mission of Purple Patch is to empower and educate every human being to reach their athletic potential. Through the lens of athletic potential, you reach your human potential. The purpose of this podcast is to help time-starved people everywhere integrate sport into life. And welcome once again to the Purple Patch Podcast, as ever, your host, Matt Dixon. And I want to tell you a little story to start today. It's about my son, Baxter. You see, a few weeks ago, my six-year-old future professional athlete, Baxter, yes, I'm saying that with an ironic twist based on today's subject, well, he participated in the kids' one-mile running race in the days leading up to the Hawaii Ironman World Championships. One mile, as fast as possible, his first race. He began smooth, accelerated like a rocket, and then spectacularly blew up with 100 metres to go. Huffing and puffing, He reached for my hand in support, as I, luckily, was running alongside pacing. He finished, we got a medal, he smiled. It hurt, but he was proud. After the race, I asked him two questions. Number one, did you have fun? Number two, did you try your best? And in a funny way, I hope that these questions remain the two questions that I continue to ask through his youth, and no, through his life as he decides on, well, whatever passion he chooses. Today, we're going to talk about kids and athletics, the value of sports for children, setting up your kids for long-term performance, and the mindset and approach to be a supporting parent in their journey. Oh, and at the end, I'm going to tell you the best advice I've been given so far in my journey as, well, hopefully, a supporting dad. But before we do that, Let's go to Word of the Week. We like the way he thinks, serious with the way. Let's open the book, it's time to take a peek. It's the Dictionary Word of the Week. Yes, the Word of the Week this week, well, it's apropos because the word is failure. Your most important word, if you want to achieve enduring success. You see, while it might hurt, and in fact, it's often viewed as a negative, it is a critical building block of success. If we are to thrive, we cannot avoid. Unfortunately, our society only tends to celebrate success and seldom looks well beyond the veneer of those who are successful to unearth the undeniable stories of failure that lie behind it. Even when I look at my own professional athletes, I could highlight so many failures of the most successful journeys that I've been lucky to be a part of. So let's shift the lens. Don't look at failure as a collapse towards oblivion or a judgment on your self-worth. Instead, it's a platform, a stepping stone to growth. Always. We highlight the wise and embrace the magical word wisdom. But we also know that wisdom can only develop with experience. So guess what? The ones that hold the wisdom are those who have experienced as much challenge and failure as they have success, but they've then gone on and learnt. Finally, we talk about the traits of performance residing in resilience, growth, learning, adaptability, and it's impossible to imagine how we can ever thrive in these areas without the experience of failure. So shift the lens and don't seek perfection. We have a saying at Purple Patch for athletes heading out into their key races. You have freedom to fail. Is that a losing mindset? Of course not. 
It's an unshackling of expectations and an unshackling of the focus on the outcome. Instead, it's a commitment to head to race day with an unbreakable commitment to, well, do your best. Do all you can do to maximize your personal performance and execute the things that you are in control of to the best of your ability. And if, for any reason, the result of that is not good enough, well, it's okay. It will provide a series of lessons in what we need to improve on and come back better next time. That is the journey. So keep that mindset. And the results and the outcomes tend to steer positive. And that is why failure isn't just a negative thing. And it's also why this week, failure is the word of the week. Now, let's get on with the meat and potatoes. Yes, the meat and potatoes. And today, we should also add our growing food. At least that's what we like to call it, the veggies. After all, today, we talk about children and performance. I approach the advice and the thoughts in this episode with really three hats on. The first is that of a former elite athlete who has lived the journey of progression in athletics. The second is, of course, a coach both in terms of a former high school and collegiate swim coach, but also now a coach of a wide range of endurance and performance-minded adults. And finally, that of a father of a six-year-old who's simply trying to work it out as he goes along with the mission of trying to avoid defining Baxter's path, nor subconsciously push him into any particular direction. So let's begin at the last of these three hats that of a father of a six-year-old. And I want to give you a little transparency of how Kelly, my wife and co-owner of Purple Patch, and I have approached Baxter's development as a person. Now, I don't tell you this as particular advice, nor claiming that it's the perfect approach, but merely to provide context for what I'm going to talk about with some performance advice later on. You see, What we're really talking about here, Baxter 6, is really thinking about his ages between 3 to 4, 4 to 5, and 5 to 6. So three years that we've had any sense of putting Baxter, quote, in sports. Well, how did we start? When you start to think about this subject, what was our overarching mindset? Well, I'll give you a few things that we decided to focus on. The first, swimming. We wanted Baxter to learn how to swim. Not because I was a swimmer growing up, or I was a triathlete, but we saw it as, firstly, an important life skill. Secondly, we felt like swimming can open the doors to so many fun future sports. And thirdly, really selfishly, our holidays would be so much easier if you can swim when we're hanging out by the pool. The second aspect that we thought we'd get into, especially as we we live close to Lake Tahoe and Kelly's from Montana, was snow, skiing we decided to get Baxter on skis early. The reason for this is, well, it's a fun lifestyle sport that is done outside, the great outdoors, fantastic. We also feel like it's a really good life skill, but also it was one of the sports that the family could genuinely do together throughout his youth and adolescence. And so what it gave us, we thought, was in the future, perhaps some really good family time in the great outdoors. The third, riding a bike. Again, adventure and a life skill. I believe that, well, 
every kid should ride a bike. And also, it was something that Baxter could do with his daddy. It was an adventure. Now, none of these had any driving purpose for athletics. It was simply an investment for us in the future by locking in present-day fun and adventure. We also had a few other things that we decided on. The first was holding off on organised sports. We didn't feel like there was any rush. We decided that we would let him try gymnastics. What could be more fun? Climbing, jumping, leaping. Besides, gymnastics is a wonderful core discipline of body awareness, movement and central to almost any sport. Of course, it was low structure and play-based, but we felt like that was a good investment. We also introduced him to theatre and play because he has, like most kids, an imagination. And so we thought that it would be fun to get him used to using his imagination. And a happy byproduct of that was speaking in front of others, exploration, invention and confidence. Again, play base. And the final thing, which was just a family decision for us, was language. You see, before we dig into mindset, we really feel like a gift that you can give your child is an immersion school that focuses on a foreign language, great for the brain. And look, I wish my French wasn't quite so bad, despite my very poor efforts. And finally, try different things. We have a mindset and an approach that works for our family. And that's that one of our jobs as parents is to help Baxter find what he loves and what he's good at. Now, That's not the only thing, but it does inform our mindset because what that's led us to do as parents is have Baxter try different things, do what he likes, and not be forced to carry on doing what he doesn't like. He's welcome to take a break. Just finish the session that he's signed up for. So now that he arrives at six, still really a little young lad, what does he do? Well, He decided that he wanted to try soccer, so he does a bit of that. He's tried baseball, he's tried lacrosse, and he just asked to do taekwondo. So he's had a little dabble of everything. Now, we're going to get into his swimming later, as that's the part that includes the best advice around this topic that I've been given. Finally, as I find myself already falling into pontification on this subject, what's my lens as a father? As I try to be supportive and I get to go and watch him play soccer, a bit of baseball, a bit of lacrosse, whatever it might be. Well, the first, when I'm on the sidelines, keep my mouth shut. The second, keep asking those two questions. Did you try hard? Did you have fun? And thirdly, embrace the present. Not have any thought or premise of what's going to happen into the future. But underneath all these, and most importantly, something that's especially tough in this modern world of structure and rigour around all of our children's lives, was commit to the majority of his activities be free play. Never underestimate the power of play. So that's us. That's how we do it so far. It's not gold. It's just the context. So with that underlying me sharing how Kelly and I view things, let's get into kids and performance at a more global level. Well, let's come up a level to start. Let's talk about the value of sports in children. You see, I want to frame the power of sports as a child develops. And this is likely obvious to most of you. But the journey goes well beyond physical development. And I would break it into some of the value components of sporting life. So the first, yes, that thing I just mentioned, physical development. Falling into habit and hopefully love 
of moving their body, the energy, adventure and challenge of physical improvements. It isn't just fitness, but it's cardiovascular, coordination, strength and power. Our body thrives when it's used. So we want to begin the practice early. And it doesn't matter whether it's hiking or playing or soccer. We want to use our body. We are designed to hit lift heavy things. We're designed to go on journeys. And so it's a wonderful component to begin early. The second component of the power of sports are those traits of performance that you've heard me talk about so much. For success in life, we already know that all of the major traits of high performance are parallel with the traits of elite athletic high performance. So sports become an education in mission, passion, managing success, dealing with failure, resilience and adaptability, teamwork, collaboration, communication, accountability, ownership, the list goes on. In fact, if we take a step back and we think about our ideal candidates for work, well, those employees blossoming in these traits are like gold. And in some cases, these traits become more important than the basic aspects of education or skills in math or science or whatever it takes to do the job really well. The third component of the power of sports is the word that I'm going to focus a lot on today, failure. While mentioned above, I think it deserves its own special highlight, the power and value of failure. You see, managed right and supported in the right way, it is fundamental in developing lessons of the journey in any performance-driven project in life. And it can also be a catalyst to build confidence. Confidence through failure, absolutely. It's a building block. And finally, when we think about the power of sport, well, guess what? It's fun. At least, it should be. It should be really fun. Sports can be a gateway for many shared journeys and fun. And let's face it, they provide a wonderful replacement for boredom, video games and TV. But with all these benefits, I think we have to acknowledge that they come with warnings and mistakes. You see, ultimately sports, especially sports in kids, can never be seen as a vehicle to glory, financial support or scholarships. Let's face it, an opportunity for parents to live vicariously through their children and make up for their youthful sporting failures or missed opportunities, it's just not a good thing. If sports are anchored in this lens, the chances are that you'll not only be doing a disservice to your children, you might be doing real damage to their chances of longevity, confidence development and of course enjoyment. Let's look at a few stone cold hard facts and I want you to ponder this. In the US, high school athletes, less than 10% of children that participate in high school athletics go on to play sports in college in the US, Division 1, Division 2 or Division 3. So not a high percentage of high school kids, and realise this, not high school kids, high school kid athletes move on to play sports in college. And of that 10%, so that's still a small number, realise also that specialisation is really diluted in value. 
71% of college American football players played multiple sports in high school. Somewhere around 85% of Division One lacrosse players, male and female alike, the numbers are very, very similar, played other sports in high school. And 90% of Division One runners participated in other sports growing up. Here's the final one. This is the one that sort of blew my mind. And it's a little US-centric for international listeners. But of the players drafted into the NFL, the National Football League, that's the Professional League of American Football, of all of the players drafted, 90% of them played multiple sports in high school. That starts to diminish the value of very early specialisation and focus in our children. And it's very strong food for thought. And yet, with this information and all of this knowledge, we see weekend on weekend the soccer fields, baseball parks and swimming pools around the Western world aligned with parents screaming at their kids, coaches and referees. The weight of expectation and pressure sits on the shoulders of young children, diminishing the basic joy and ultimately limiting the growth opportunities and lessons that sports should provide. So add to this sideline behaviour or the tendency for overcoaching and control, however well-intentioned, it also sends an incredibly poor message. It isn't the behaviour modelling that we want to build for our children across the other areas of life. And we must remember that our children are not just small adults. They've yet to develop context, wisdom or perspective. They are vulnerable to this type of behaviour and so it is highly damaging. Your passion as a parent displayed with anger or sideline vigour is destructive in so many ways. There's a valid reason that you seldom will see an ex-professional or elite athlete behaving this way as a parent. It's never or next to never, the seasoned elite athlete. And the reason is that these folks appreciate the journey. They understand that their own success could never have ultimately come from an external drive. And that's an important point. It has to come from within. Guess what? This is going to be the same for our children. Shh. We are not in control of their inner drive. And so early overcoaching tendencies can only lead to vulnerable children who are shifted by external behaviour from a play and adventure based mindset to simply simply seeking approval. Aggressive behaviour and strong overcoaching influence at a very young age sends a message of the pass fail component of sport and a framework that nothing is ever good enough, and ultimately that sport is the most important part of life. Well, ultimately, so much of sports and performance should be just about play, exploration, fun, and a great kid's coach will lean into these aspects. A great kid's coach will not try and operate the team like finely tuned military operation. Okay, great. You shouldn't be over vigorous. You shouldn't be boisterous. You shouldn't be arguing with the coach or shouting at the referee. But how do we set up kids for the benefits and lessons? What should we do? 
how do we set our kids up for success and gain all of the benefits of sports lessons and development without becoming that parent? Or how do we avoid accidentally diffusing our kids' joy? That would crush my heart. It would crush our soul, I guess. I'm probably right in saying it would also crush yours. Well, there are answers. And so here is a performance framework for our kids when it comes to sport. The first, exposure. You might like triathlons, but don't drive your child towards that sport. You might have wished that you made varsity baseball when you were younger, but your child cannot make up for those regrets. So instead, commit to exposing your child to a wide range of experiences in sport and outside and make it fun. It's just like our family rule on eating. You don't have to eat it all, but you must at least try it. And within here is just a little bit of autonomy as well. Allow your kid to become a part of that decision-making process. This isn't, okay, Johnny, do you want to stay home and play video games or do you want to go and play soccer? Instead, it's about presenting them with options. Choice is an empowering component of the process. They are actively choosing to participate in the discipline or the activity. And that is a part of the development of autonomy. The second element in the framework is don't specialise. They may display talent, but I promise you that they have time. Keep it fun and interesting and commit to trying to make whatever that endeavour is remain fun. Even if you think you've got the next Roger Federer, your aim should be that when your child gets older, they associate the early years of any sport as fun. More on that later. The third element, let them play. All of the research shows that the value of free time and unstructured play is unparalleled. Most kids have a block of time post-school as well as the weekend, that us parents must fill and schedule activities. Well, make sure within that time, you give plenty of opportunity for unstructured play. No agenda. Let your child lead and imagine. And then you get involved. Fun and explorative. Make it active or less active if they're tired. Super for brain development and other factors. Number four, friends not outcomes. In adults, we always talk about process, not outcomes. And it's really similar for our children. The soccer game that Baxter's playing in, or your son or daughter, it's less about the result or if they scored. It's more about having fun, trying hard and doing something with their friends. Number five, let your child work it out. Children are not dummies and they realise quickly that repeated actions provide lessons. They're really good at working things out. After all, they learn how to walk. They learn how responsive you are as a parent. In fact, once you go to bed and you say, okay, it's time to go to bed, it doesn't take them long to work out that if they call for a cuddle, smart little bugger, you're probably going to come back and give them that cuddle. Sports can be pressure and confident and consequence free, at least big consequence free. And it's a wonderful venue to learn and grow themselves. And so don't, as a parent, steal the growth opportunity by giving them the answer every 
time. And finally, number six in the performance framework, don't coddle. Let them fail. They need to. In fact, embrace failure. Perhaps the most important piece of the puzzle here, learning to fail. Every single successful athlete, entrepreneur, leader, classically trained musician is an expert in failure. They are really good at failure. And this is as failure is not a negative, but a growth opportunity. It offers so much. Now, this is lovely to hear, but many coaches and even parents ask me, How should I address failure? So let's talk about it quickly. I think there are three steps. The first is empathize. Because just because it's an opportunity for growth doesn't mean it doesn't suck. And you've got to acknowledge that. Saying something like, it's not a big deal, or try better next time, that's not empathetic. Acknowledge it. I can see that you're hurting and you're upset. I know you wanted to do better. You're not offering solutions yet, but there is there an authentic acknowledgement that this is a painful experience and that ultimately they did hope for more. Secondly, I would encourage you to be personally vulnerable. Look, your your child thinks that you're Superman. Well, in my case, not Superman. Instead, it's my fictional superhero, Daddy Dangerous. Fists of fury, faster than a wounded rabbit, and annoys Baxter every time I sing it. But in my mind, I'm the superhero, and in many ways, Baxter does think so too. Well, this is a good time to instead be vulnerable and let them know that we all fail. It's not weakness, and it's the best way to teach the fact that, yes, failure happens. And so that's the time to tell a meaningful and most importantly, relatable story to your child, a mistake, a failure, a regret. Expose yourself, be vulnerable. It's part of great leadership. It's also, I think, part of being a great parent. And finally, start to provide solutions. It isn't too soon. Your child is smart. You can start to develop a solutions mindset. I remember a saying that we sometimes say to our athletes, sorry to hear, okay, so now what? This comes following the empathy, but is a door to a teaching moment. So what, now what? Aim to collectively arrive at some actions to evolve. Now, that isn't, hey, next time I'm going to score more goals. You know the things. I promise you, you do. It's, what can we change? What would you do next time? You start to look forward and take action. And I promise you, your kid's not too young to start to adapt to that. Okay, so you might have listened to this outline. You thought, well, the purple patch coach is, well, dismissing coaching, driving me away from commitment, diffusing the value of focus and hitting a project. I'm not. That comes. But guess what? It cannot come through you. But through exposure and the relation of sports being fun, passion will blossom, drive will ignite, confidence will grow, and you would have laid the bedrock to drive and passion, as well as started to develop the tools of management to set up a more happy and successful athlete or ballerina or pianist or artist or accountant than you possibly could have imagined. But I want to finish this with a final story, because through all this, I'm well aware 
I'm saying this is how I do it and this is how you should do it. So I think it's time for me to be a little vulnerable because just two weeks ago, I had a story of evolution and growth. I might make it sound so simple here, but I wanted to let you into a secret. We all mess up and I was very close to messing up just a couple of weeks ago. I talked about Baxter and Kelly and I wanting to get into swimming. I also promised you I'd come back to that topic at the end of the show. Well, guess what? He loves swimming. He just loves water in the bath, in the ocean, in the pool. And ultimately, very quickly, he's outgrown the swimming teaching programs that are in San Francisco itself. We live in the city of San Francisco. The only next step available for Baxter is swim team. Swim team! Laps! He's six. Oh, I want to help him thrive and grow, but there isn't a program in San Francisco that's quite right. So I decided to reach out to Tim Sheeper. Now, Tim runs Team Sheeper in Menlo Park, about 40 minutes south of San Francisco, Silicon Valley, for you guys from that are outside the Bay Area. They have a wonderful program. Tim's not only a great athlete, but he has a wonderful triathlon program and an amazing master swimming program all the way down to some lessons. But the thing that I was interested in was the bridge program for five, six, seven, eight-year-olds, pre-swim team, post-lessons. It was magical. It fit like a glove for Baxter's needs right now. So I called Tim and I explained the situation. Baxter's done very well. He loves swimming. I want to be a supportive father. And there's no program. So I'm prepared to drive 30 to 40 minutes each way to enable Baxter to continue to embrace swimming and develop. Because after all, I'm a dad. I want the best for my son. Well, here's Tim's response. And I have to say, what a legend. Magical lessons and at the same time, a slap in the face to me, the performance guy. So Matt, you will endeavour to set Baxter up with structure And in 10 years' time, he will look back and associate swimming with long drives, traffic jams, and free time consumed with this activity. What do you think the chances that he loves swimming with those memories? Yeah, he might have talent. He's your son, Matt. I grew up a swimmer, remember. But he's got time. And so instead, I'm going to give you a gift, Matt. So what did Tim continue to say? He said, you do it. Take him swimming play. Sharks and minnows, follow the leader, Marco Polo. I still haven't worked out how to play that game. Fun. Go twice a week. It's a choice of yours. You might be busy. You might be running a business. You might be coaching, but this is your choice. Twice a week and follow it every day with something fun. Go out to dinner with each other, ice cream, whatever he wants. But that is going to be precious dad time dad and son time and play time. Make it fun and do it for the next four years. And guess what? In 10 years, he's going to associate swimming as fun. He will continue to love the water. And guess what? If he is talented and he does decide to get into swimming, he's going to easily catch up if he has the talent. And so, yes, the magical solution, staring in my face, my quest, my draw of being that parent, wanting the best for my son through best intentions, but 
getting ready to make a colossal mistake in the structure of our family. Well, we started. Precious time, fun, development, play. It's his time with me. And guess what? You already know I have no regrets. And I already know I won't have any regrets. And ultimately, here's another secret. It's really fun for me. All right, guys, so that's child development in sport. I hope that helps. I hope that provides some perspective on when we think about the development of child athletes and really making sure that we avoid overpressuring our kids when we're young. I promise you, you won't regret it. And the chances are, by the way, you probably don't have the next Roger Federer. I just want to point that out. But you can have a really happy and thriving child. So let's get to questions. So as ever, if you want us to answer your questions, we get inundated every week. We're trying to filter through and do as many as we can. In the coming weeks, as I've promised for the last couple of weeks, we will get to a show just designated for performance questions. But the email address is questions at purplepatchfitness.com. That's questions with an S at purplepatchfitness.com. Ping me there. We'll filter through, we'll answer the ones that we feel like are most appropriate and also most appealing to the major group. So today we've got a couple of questions. The first from Craig Van Domelen, or Craig, if you're more European, which is normal, but Craig Van Domelen. And uh, this is a question that's actually all around very labor intensive work and leaving Craig feeling very fatigued during the day. So my question is, my work is labor intensive. I do steel work for gates, fences and other metal fabrication. And the problem is that the workouts leave me fatigued for the work I have to do in the rest of the day. So what's the best way to help me recover between workouts and starting my workday not as fatigued or physically burnt? I'm on a three-year plan to be ready of sorts to do Ironman Arizona when I'm 55, which is super. So Let's uh, let's go through and let's talk about this a little bit. The first and the number one habit, and this comes with energy and focus throughout the day, balancing and making sure you're, you're avoiding big dips in fatigue, is following your morning workout. Make sure that you get calories in immediately, and that's some protein to make sure you're not carrying stress hormones the rest of the day, and also, of course, start repair, and also some carbohydrate. I think that's really important. The second is hydration, and in particular if you're in manual labor type work, hydration is a critical component. Every time you finish exercising, you are appropriately slightly dehydrated, even if you've hydrated during the session. And so post-workout and throughout the workday, you want to make sure that your hydration levels stay high. So making sure that you're keeping a bottle of fluid with you that doesn't need to be Coca-Cola or Red Bull or coffee. It can be hydrating liquids, particularly with a few electrolytes in, could be as simple as a pinch of salt and a little squeeze of lime that's going to really help as well and then thirdly Craig I think we have to understand ultimately as the bigger picture that you've got to be cognitive and aware of the fact that stress is stress is stress and so our goal and purpose is to adapt to the training that we do in a dynamic mindset so when you're on you want to be on and the worst thing for you is going to be a static program it just would be awful setting out a spreadsheet and saying, no matter how I'm feeling, this is going to be the workout that I'm going to do. 
Instead, I'd shift the lens to actually say, these are the building blocks of the key sessions that will move the performance needle. And then I would do those sessions on the days that you feel good and have a little bit more of a dynamic mindset when you approach. I want to point out as well that office work is also high stress. So yes, you are doing strong labor work, but the high stress of office work, so far as people like accountants or finance workers, they just have a different source of stress and they also get tired. And that brings me to the nap. It is, quite simply put, magical. And you don't need to fall asleep when you're resting or taking your in parentheses nap, but get into as much as possible a dark and cool space and it will be massive for your rejuvenation, your immune system, your adaptations and your performance in the afternoon at the workplace. So I hope that helps. We do have time for one more and this comes from Sven in Sweden. He's talking about strength training. So strength training has just finished his 2018 race season and he's about to start with postseason. 45 to 50 age group and finally has accepted the importance of continuous strength and mobility training. I really want to integrate strength training into my weekly training schedule going all the way through to my 2019 main goal which is Ironman Kalmar in Sweden which is in August by the way. So my question is do you recommend a periodization of strength training and if so can you give me a little guideline of what it looks like? Well Sven the word is integration. You said you want to integrate your strength training and I think that's really important because we have to remember to start that strength for an endurance athlete is a critical supplement. So we don't want to diminish the value or the time that we're doing on endurance sports. At the same time, it's really critical. So last week, my team of coaches and I were actually discussing an athlete who's right around your age. She's a very good age group athlete, now turning 46 years of age. And her challenge, at least from our perspective as coaches, is she wants to just continue doing what she always had with previous success. And so we started talking about the value and importance of strength training specifically to this woman. The net result of the conversation were this. There is no woman who won't benefit. In fact, no, there is no woman who doesn't need to do strength. None. That's a big statement. Now, that's a statement that becomes even more important when we go to the 40s and beyond. And in fact, I think that we can evolve that statement to say there is no person who doesn't need to do strength. But now to your question, how? Well, as you know, we've got three main phases of training. We've got postseason, which is prep. We have the build phase, which we used to call pre-season. That's what's in the books, but we started to evolve it now to be called the build phase, where we're looking to build resilience, strength, and speed. And then, of course, we have the race-specific phase, and that's going to be the block of training that you're doing to get ready for Ironman Sweden. So you're looking to get race ready there. So yes, we want to align our strength and mobility training with those three phases. And ultimately, there's many ways to skin a cat, but in general... In the postseason, what we look to do is a lot of core and stability work and a lot of synchronization of movements. So trying to connect the brain with the body. I've said many times before, take a triathlete, make them try and take their index finger and touch their nose and they'll poke themselves in the eye. 
So we do a lot of movement patterns, really trying to make sure that they can move functionally. And that means that there are a lot of compound or multi-joint movement patterns in the postseason. You're preparing the body to accept load, both in endurance and in strength training. In the pre-season, or what we now call the build phase of training, it's time to get strong like bull. So we go to lower rep, higher strength focus. We still maintain core stability and synchronization, but the meat and potatoes is strength. And in the later part of that build phase, we start to bring in some explosive, more plyometric load. And so that's medicine ball tosses and jumps and leaps. So it's starting to generate from strength to power. And the final phase that we go through, race. We want to maintain the components of strength we've developed, not improve, maintain. We want to sharpen, so we have an increasing focus on the explosive, and we want to shift our mindset to being a bit more therapeutic in nature. So that's where it's the strength training is helping you manage the loads and stresses of training and racing. So there's a lot of mo- mobility and recuperation. So in the race part of the year, we're not trying to get more. And I think that's really important. In fact, we're not trying to get more in the endurance component. We're just learning to use it better. And it's the same in our strength and conditioning. We're not looking to get more. We're just trying to use it all and not regress. And hence, that makes it year round for all beginners all the way to pros. So I hope that helps. Once again, questions at purplepatchfitness.com. We love to hear from you. And if you have any ideas of guests that you want on the show, or if you want to me to talk about a particular subject, I'm all ears as ever. So let's finish it up. Lessons of today, guys. What do we have as lessons of today? Well, it's pretty simple. Number one, avoid specialization. Mix it up. Make it fun. Embrace play. Don't focus on the outcomes. Embrace failure as a growth moment. Have patience and realize that your kid's journey is a long journey. And appreciate the behavior patterns that you are modeling and the example that you're setting with those behavior patterns. There. Now, you thought I was reviewing child sporting development. And I was. But, as you can tell, for most of those lessons, we can equally apply to ourselves and our own performance. So, keep it fun, keep it real, keep smiling, and take care. Until next time, cheers. Thanks so much for listening. This has been the Purple Patch Podcast. If you like what you hear, we'd really appreciate it if you share with your friends and even go the extra mile and head over to Apple Podcasts to subscribe, rate and review the show. The Apple Podcast link is in the show notes. Your support and positive reviews go a huge way in increasing our visibility and also the exposure to time-starved people everywhere who want to integrate sport into life and ultimately thrive. Don't forget, you can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Cheers! Cheers!